The book of Nehemiah, we've been in there for the last few weeks, and we said it could be summarized in three words, building, battling, and becoming. Uh, and so, so far we have seen uh, that the walls were rebuilt at this time, but even though the walls were rebuilt up to the city, guess what? God was, was not finished with the people. And so this morning, we're going to look at chapter 7. And so in the first half of this book, the people existed for the walls. In other words, the people were there to rebuild the walls. But in the last half of this book, we're going to see that the walls are there for the people. The walls are there for the people. And so in Nehemiah chapter 7, we really could call this a turning point in this book because it's not so much about building now. It's about on the people becoming what God intends for them to be. And if you would, if, since I outlined this chapter, there's going to be three words I'm going to use to outline this chapter. We're going to go over these three words in the message today. The first one I would say this is leadership. The second one is guardianship. And the third one is membership, okay? Leadership, guardianship, and membership. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And so let's read Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. And let's look at what the Word of God says here. He says, Now when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed... Verse 2 says, Then I put Hananiah, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful God, a faithful man, and feared God more than many. So let's talk about for a second leadership today, okay? How many knows that nations rise and fall on leadership? Okay? Churches rise and fall on leadership. Ministries rise and fall on leadership. Families rise and fall on the basis of leadership. And we know from reading the first six chapters that Nehemiah was a tremendous leader of people. And so now Nehemiah appoints two men who will take over for when he is gone. And what does the Bible say that made these two men great leaders? The Bible says in verse 1 and 2 that these guys were faithful and they feared God more than other people. And so, listen, you don't have to have a lot of talents, a lot of skills to be a good leader. You got to have two requirements to be a good godly leader, to be a good godly father, to be a good godly husband, and that is, first of all, you must be faithful. Okay? You must be faithful. Somebody said that the greatest ability is dependability. In other words, you can be counted on. You are reliable. I remember uh, a long time ago, I think it was about 35 years ago, that's hard to believe, maybe 25 years ago, and I'm a sports fanatic, but on the September 6, 1995, thousands of baseball fans stood up in the middle of a game at Camden Yards to honor one player. They interrupted the game for 22 minutes with their applause. 
Now think about this. Why were they standing and applauding? Well, they were applauding for one player on the team. And the thing is, five other players on that team had higher batting averages. Three other players on the team had more home runs. They were applauding Cal Ripken Jr. because of his faithfulness. Because on that night, he broke Lou Gehrig's record in the fact that he played 2,632 consecutive games without missing a single game. Now think about it. They were applauding him because he was faithful. He could be counted on. He could be depended upon. And if you've ever had the chance to go out west in Wyoming to a place called Yellowstone, there's a bunch of geysers in Yellowstone, but there's only one geyser that, is, that carries really the name out there. And the thing about this geyser is, it's not the biggest geyser because there's other geysers that will blow steam or blow water far higher than this geyser. But what separates this geyser from all other geysers is its faithfulness. And it is called Old Faithful because you can basically set your watch by when it is going to blow, so to speak. And let me tell you something. If there's ever a time we need God's people to be faithful to what God has called us to do, it is now. Because there's a lot of people that got great skill. They got great talent. But you just simply can't depend on them. You can't depend on them. You got to look on the back of a milk carton to see where they went to. Right? And it does not take skill, it does not take talent to be faithful. And the reason why they were appointed to be leaders is because these two guys, they could be depended upon. And let me say this as a child of God, we need to be faithful in small things. Some people say, well, when I get a big job, guess what? I'll really be faithful then. I'll start showing up to work on time. But if you show up late to your job now, I don't care if they pay you six figures, guess what? You may show up on time for a few weeks, but you eventually get right back to what you were doing. See, God wants us to be faithful in small things. Small things. He wants us to not be faithful in small things. He wants to be faithful when no one recognizes what we're doing. Because we're doing it for the Lord. He wants us to be faithful when it's difficult. When it's not easy. When you don't even know if people's going to even show up. Now listen, I've told you many times of growing up as a preacher's home, as a preacher's kid, you do everything at one time or another in the church. And so I was in charge of the Sunday school class that didn't have but one or two there. And you know what? If you only got one there that shows up, you don't know if you're going to have a class or not that day. But it was my job as a minister to prepare like I was going to be teaching to 100 that day. 
Because if God can't trust me to be faithful with one or two, why is he going to give me a hundred? Why is he going to give me a hundred? If I can't be faithful in what God has given me. See, Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says that you should be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so the thing that God wants us to be as his children is to be faithful, be dependable, be reliable. Now, what made these guys reliable, I mean, was the second characteristic was this. They feared God more than most people. And when you fear God more than many, you will be faithful because you realize that you will give an account for what you have done with what you've been given. I will give an account one day for how I pastored this church. You will give an account one day for how you taught your class. You will give an account one day if you're a ministry leader, a department leader, for how faithful you were with what God entrusted you. And when you fear God and not man, I believe it causes us to be faithful. Now imagine this. Imagine if we had a president who feared God more than most people. Imagine we had a Congress who feared God more than most people. Imagine we had fathers who feared God more than the soccer coach. I'm not going to say that because I don't think we have a soccer. Do we have a soccer team at Addison? And my son is not in this service, even the next service, so maybe he won't watch this. But it was amazing to me as growing up, raise, or as I was raising kids, how kids would be more afraid to miss practice than they would be to miss church. They would. They'd be more afraid to miss worldly things than to miss godly things. I'm saying, oh, me here. I'm saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching at me as well. And the thing is this. God wants his people to be faithful in what they have been called to do and when you fear, listen, you got, you, you, you got two options. Those that fear God fear nothing else. Those that don't fear God fear everything else. And so when you fear God, you don't fear anything else because you realize God is the one that would judge you. God is the one that will scrutinize you. It's not going to be your boss. It's not going to be your neighbor. It's going to be God, the one that you've got to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what you have done with your life, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so Nehemiah appointed godly leaders. If there's ever a time that we need godly leaders in government, in churches, in our household, it is now. God give us people that are faithful 
and that fear you more than most people do. Leadership. The second one we would outline this chapter with is what I would call guardianship. Look at verse 3 and 4. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his own post and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. Now notice this, the walls have been rebuilt. The gates have been put back in their place. But even though the walls have been rebuilt, the gates had been put up, guess what? There was still work to be done. They could not just simply go to sleep and say, the work is over, we're finished. No, because what good are strong walls and gates if nobody is guarding them, if nobody is controlling who enters the city or what enters the city? And so what does Nehemiah do? Not only does he appoint godly leaders, he also appoints people to guard guardianships to make sure that nothing comes inside the walls of the city that could damage or that could do irreparable harm to the people of God. And guess what? Diligent watchmen are needed today. So what does he do? He says, listen, we're only going to open the gates as late as possible. Okay? In other words, when the sun is really hot, that's when we'll open the gates. And also, we're not going to leave the gates open. We're going to close them early. So he sets guards up. And he makes sure that nothing bad comes in. So that if it does, it will harm the people. And let me say this. In the Christian life, often a battle is won only to be later lost. Why? Because we do not Keep our guard up. The most dangerous time in the Christian life is when you come off the mountain and you think you're invincible. You think you're untouchable. And so even though the walls were up and the gates were up, guess what? They could not let their guard down. And God doesn't want us to just build things he wants us to preserve and to protect things. Let me give you an illustration of this. In the book of Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul, in his second missionary journey, he establishes a church at Ephesus, okay? And so he spends time at the city of Ephesus with these, with these people in this church. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31. He says, I know that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert. He says, listen, even though I've established this church, I know when I leave this place, there's going to be people that's going to infiltrate the body and they're going to bring in all kind of perverse teachings, all kinds of heresies. I know it's going to happen. And so you got to be on your guard at all times. Do you realize this? 
Every Christian ministry, every Christian family is just one short generation away from destruction. Just one short generation away from destruction. It's amazing to me when you read the Old Testament, especially around Judges, after Joshua dies, the Bible says that after Joshua's generation, there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or his works. Did not know the Lord or his works. How is it possible for a generation to arise after Joshua's generation that saw walls fall down in Jericho, saw all the miracles of God, but yet they raise a generation behind them that does not know God or know his work. Let me tell you something, church. What we do in liberty, the next generation will do in excess. They'll do it in excess. See, because we're raising a generation now that believes things that are explicitly contrary to the word of God. Okay? To the word of God. And they'll say, well, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. And that's the reason why I think it's so important for us as parents, that we got to be careful what we allow in the gates of our home. Nowadays, you're raising kids, and what does a parent do? We want to throw an iPad in front of them and just say, watch this. I don't have time for training you. And we don't even know what they're watching. I mean, even when I was growing up, you know, you could go to a Disney movie and it was going to promote family values. But even the things that are on Disney, even the things that are on cartoons, networks, and that kind of stuff, it is there not to change your mind. It's there to shape their minds, okay? And it's important for us as God's people that not only we practice godly leadership, we also practice guardianship. Paul would say this in 1 Timothy 6 and 20 and 21. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. 2 Timothy 1 and 14, he says, guard through the Holy Spirit 
who dwells in you, the treasure which has been trust, entrusted to you. Let me tell you something. It's not so much the tornadoes we need to be worried about. It's the termites. It's the termites. Now, I said something wrong a few weeks ago, and I'm going to correct it this morning. I said that tornado season was November and December, and I was correct to say, no, it's November to May. Because we have tornadoes all the time, right, in the south. And a lot of us, we're so afraid of a tornado hitting our house, and we don't realize the termites are eating it away right now. In other words, we're so worried about the big stuff that's plain, that's obvious, and we don't see what's being inside our walls that's eaten away at the foundation of our family. So he had leadership. He had guardianship. And why is it that we get our guard down? It's because I think, first of all, we, come, we just simply become too comfortable. We become too comfortable. We just become too comfortable. And we also let our guard down because we don't realize how late the time is. Paul would say in Romans 13, 11 through 14, and give me about four minutes and you come up here and I'll start playing. Look at Romans 13, 11 through 14. He says, doing this, knowing the time. It's 928. That's what time it is. This is all the more urgent, he would say one translation, because you know how late it is. That is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now salvation is near to us and when we believe. He says the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. He says, you don't realize how late it is. You better wake up. You better get your guard up. You better close the gates because things are getting in. That's there to destroy you and erode your faith. 2 John 1 and 8, John says you should watch yourself that you do not lose what you have accomplished but that you receive a full reward. 1 Timothy 4, 16, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and your teachings. Preserve in the, persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. He says it's important for us as God's people that we watch ourselves, that we put our guard up. Nehemiah said the gates are only going to be open at a certain time. When the sun's hot and before it gets dark, we're closing the gates. We're not just going to let anything in this city because there's ravenous wolves out there that would love nothing more to do to come in and destroy flock of God and so we see leadership we see guardianship the third word I'm using this outline in chapter 7 is what I would call membership okay the vast majority of chapter 7 consists of a geneal genealogical record which Nehemiah did not write he simply recorded an existing record 
the same list found in Ezra chapter 2. Now why is this so important for him to record these names? Well, there's a couple of reasons I think we can draw upon this. First of all, that people are important to God and God knows our name. Okay? God knows us. But the second thing I think this is important is, is because I think it illustrates something infinitely more important than that. And that is this. Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? See, Revelation 21 27 says that nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. Talking about the city there. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is interesting because God knows who's a part of his family. God knows whose name is on the register, so to speak. See, because if you read chapter 7, when you get into verse 64, there's a problem there because there were those there that said, we're a part of the priesthood. But when they searched the records, their names could not be located. Notice this. They thought they were a part of the record, but when they searched for their names, their names were not on the list. And they said, nope, your name's not on the list. You are excluded from this. And let me say this. Every single one of us in here, you are either on the list or you are not. You are either saved and on your way to heaven or you're lost and you're not. Those people in verse 64 thought they were on the list, but they were. And listen, just because your name's on the membership roll does not mean you're going to heaven. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven. I think we probably got anywhere from 275 to 300 on our roll, okay? And we all know we probably average 60 in this service, 100 plus kids' church in the next service. So you're looking at maybe anywhere from 175 to 200 a Sunday. Well, there's 175 people, or there's 100 people that's missing. Just because your name's on a membership roll at this church or a Baptist church don't mean you're in heaven. Doesn't mean that. No. The only way you get into heaven is through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Now, I believe you should join the church. I believe you should. I believe it's a biblical thing to do. But that don't get you into heaven. That's just being a good steward. Right? Say I'm a part of the body. I'm accountable. I know people, there's some people that would like to carry their, I heard one man say, I just carry my membership in my pocket. Wherever I go, that's where I remember that day. Now he was joking. But see, there's no accountability with that. I need people to hold me accountable and you do too. Amen? 
And so the question is, is your name on God's roll? Is your name on God's roll? I didn't say you're a good person. I didn't say do you go to church somewhere. I said is your name on God's membership roll? I know this is kind of a, you probably never heard this message like this today. But again, three things that he mentions here. And I started to say this is three different messages. It may be three different messages. But we need leaders of the home of ministry to be faithful and to fear God more than anyone else. We need to be on guard at all times because there's an adversary out there walking about looking for someone to devour. We need to first and foremost make sure our name has been written there. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we're about to partake in this time of communion. Communion is only for those who know you as their Lord and Savior. It's not for perfect people. It's for people who trust in a perfect Savior, a perfect high priest that has shed his blood for us. And Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, help us to be faithful. Help us to fear you more than anyone else. Help us, Lord, as fathers, as pastors, as leaders to be on guard against the adversary and not just let anything in the gates of our homes, the gates of our church, but, Lord, to be on guard. And Lord, help us, Lord. We can know that our name is written there. John says, I write these things unto you so that you can know that you have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life today. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy and your grace.